Good morning. Um, on, in February 2011, I was in Christchurch working for a private training provider and the sun was blue. I mean, sorry, the sun was blue, the sky was blue, almost as blue as, as Central Otago Day. And we had a new intake of students. So we decided that we were going to have a barbecue out in the car park. Um, and uh, I was standing chatting to one of the staff and as we were there, suddenly, there was a big earthquake. And because we were out on the car park, the ground heaved and the asphalt buckled and cracks appeared and water started coming out and some of it was pouring into the main building. And um, everybody was shocked and, and then a few seconds later, everybody whipped out their cell phones, to obviously to communicate with their loved ones. So I thought... I guess I'd better do the same. Now, I'm not a great cell phone person. I prefer a computer when I can have a nice big keyboard. And so, it was, to my surprise, perhaps I shouldn't have been, my cell phone didn't work. So I'm standing there thinking, what shall I do? Uh, by this stage, someone had gone over to their car and listened to the radio and came back with the news that part of the um, cathedral had collapsed. So it was obviously a, a serious event. And those uh, students who had children were worried about those, so they just took off. So all these people are leaving, and there's this general sort of feeling of, well, my position anyway, what do I do? And of course, right beside me is this meat cooking. So I thought, well, I think my family is okay, because Helen was working at Hornby High School, which is on the west side of Christchurch, which isn't built on the swamp. And I th thought that my two daughters, who were working in town, were in modern buildings, so they'd be okay. But, so I thought, what am I going to do? So I ate one of the burgers. <laughs> and um, after a while, with all the students le leaving, the, the principal decided that maybe the staff should be allowed to go too. So they all took off. And I started to think, well, if I struggle all the way home, I I'm bound to get a call to say I've got to come back and rescue somebody. So I was dithering, right? I'm sometimes, I'm not a person who makes instant decisions. So I was there, and so I went out to look down the road and see what was happening, and all these people were walking past on the street. And I looked down and I could see the Grand Chancellor Hotel was on a lean, and in the distance I could see all this dust. And I thought, it's like a disaster movie. It's, surely this can't be real. So eventually I decided that I would um, go home. So I got in my car and I was just easing out into the traffic when one of my daughters turned up. She was the one who was working in the IOD building and she was five floors up. And that building was designed to flex and it did flex. So she was hanging on to the furniture while it flexed and then as they all evacuated, they had to evacuate down past, uh, down into Latimer Square and she came past the CTV CTV building, which had collapsed, and she knew there were dead people in there. So she was a bit upset. So as I was finally driving out, pulling out into the traffic, which was still full of people as well as cars, she turned up, and we slowly navigated through a long, circuitous way back home, and thankfully to discover that the rest of her family was okay. The next day, I was called into work because the boss wanted us staff to come in and clean up. So we went upstairs to the uh, 
computer room where a bookcase had collapsed. And while I was up there, there was an aftershock. Now, as I said, I'm a person who sometimes thinks about things perhaps a bit too much. But I took off like a rocket down those stairs and was outside into the car park. I'm probably the first one to do so. And the principal came up to me and said, you know, yesterday when I looked at you and everybody else was panicking, you were calmly sitting, uh, standing there eating a hamburger. <laughs> but today your face is white as a sheet. And I didn't actually say it, but I thought it. Of course I'm as white as a sheet. It was an earthquake and the building was shaking and I could have been killed and all that sort of stuff. And uh, five years later, there was an article in the, in the NZ Herald which says that Christchurch was hit by more than 10,000 quakes since 2011. Now, a lot of them were small ones, but some of them were noticeable. And a few months later, I was down at a seminar in, at the Polytech, and we had a presenter come down from Auckland to talk to us about moderation. And for those of you who are teachers, you know that moderation is important. And partway through her presentation the building started to shake, and she looked petrified. We just sat there and thought, yeah, it's about a four. Because by this stage, we had, we had this game where we would guess what the, the uh, strength of the earthquake was on the Richter scale, and then we checked a geo on Geonet to see whether we were right. But there were some times after that when I would be standing at an intersection waiting for the lights to change, and the truck would go past, and the ground would shake. And part of me just froze, because I think, was thinking, is this an earthquake about to start? And it took a long while for that sort of feeling to disappear. We used to go to shopping in Rickerton and uh, Countdown Mall and park in the underground car park. But I said to Helen, look, I don't want to park in the underground car park. And I don't think I ever have since, because I was just too anxious about it. You know, but in Matthew 24, Jesus said, See that you're not alarmed. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And there have been since he said that. And that's been true all the way through. And it gets even worse. He said, You'll be hearing of wars and rumours of wars. See that you're not alarmed. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. He'd been asked the question, what are the signs of, the, of your return? So he began to explain to them the reality of what life held for us. You know, and we've heard of, the, of course, Ukraine and that's war, and, but there is an elephant in the room. Um, if you like pictures of elephants, I quite like this one. This is the issue that we haven't thought about or talked about since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. What happens if those people in the Northern Hemisphere start flinging nuclear bombs around. Ever since uh, the end of the Second World War, we've had this new dimension come in to our, our social fabric. And that is that we now have the ability to wipe ourselves off the planet. Up until 1900 odd years before that, we haven't had that ability, but we have. So what we've had is what's called a MAD system, Mutually Assured Destruction. So people knew during the Cold War that if you started it, it could be the end of everybody. So nobody started it. But now we've had threats of it. And one thing that has uh, that developed through this analysis of what would happen if we had a nuclear war was the concept of a nuclear winter, 
where if the Northern Hemisphere was to do this, they would push up so much soot into the atmosphere that it would block out some of the sun's rays and the earth would cool down. This was based on, on some understanding of what happened in 1815, where there was an eruption in Indonesia, one of the volcanoes blew, and it put out so much soot into the, into the world's atmosphere that they estimate that the global temperature dropped by 0.7 degrees. Now, if some idiot pushes the wrong buttons in the Northern Hemisphere today, and we got a nuclear war, it's estimated that by the 2025, we could get a nuclear winter, as it's called, of at least dropping in temperature of at least two degrees and possibly as large as five. It could start in the Northern Hemisphere and slowly work our way down. Now, that's a scenario that people are not really talking about, but some people are thinking about it, even in New Zealand. A couple of weeks ago, some New Zealand academics got together and they produced a paper. If you notice the date there, it's 7th of February. And they said five island nations, including New Zealand, could be well-placed to continue to produce food despite reduced sunlight and cooler temperatures caused by soot in the atmosphere following a nuclear war in the Northern Hemisphere. So that's kind of encouraging. And if you're wondering what the other four islands are, they are Australia, Iceland, for some strange reason, Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands. All of these are likely to have a robust self-sufficiency even in an extreme nuclear winter. So being at the outermost parts of the world does have its benefits. But these are just scientists speculating on what could happen. And they're speculating about a model that has thankfully not yet been tested. So this is fairly gloomy, I know. But how should we respond to this doom and gloom, this anxiety that's coming upon our world? Well, Paul in Romans 15, verse 4, said, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. One of the early Scriptures that you may have learned is in Psalm 23. And it says this, and it was written about 3,000 years ago, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Now some people have said, well, they said early on, when they were talking about the Lord's return, they said, well, how come he hasn't come back yet? There were some of the churches were concerned about that. So Peter wrote to them, and this is from 2 Peter 3 verse 9, and he said, the Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises, as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin so that no one is to be lost. Jesus himself said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end shall come. So the end won't come next week, and probably next month. We don't have to panic, because... There are lots of places where the gospel has not yet been preached, at least not openly. Places like North Korea and Bhutan and, and some of the Islamic nations. So we don't have to be alarmed. But what this does tell me is that God's got a program. He's got a plan. And his plan is to redeem people from every tribe and kindred and nation so that one day we can all worship around the throne as a family of God. So he is working his agenda while the world is trying to do its thing. 
Now, if we are not present when the Lord returns, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that our bodies are like tents that we live in here on earth. But when these tents are destroyed, we know that God will give us each a place to live. These homes will not be buildings someone has made, but they are in heaven and will last forever. This is the contemporary English version. So our bodies are like tents. They grow old and they get worn out. But the real us is inside, that's our spirit. And when we die, we go to be with Jesus, which is far better. So we have that hope. Jesus also said, be on the alert, for you do not know the day your Lord is coming. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, sorry, of the talents, he said to a couple of the guys, you are a good and faithful servant. I left you in charge of only a little, but now I put you in charge of much more. Come and share my happiness. Or in some translations, enter into the joy of the Lord. So we don't know when we're going to be with Jesus. It could be some considerable time before that happens, and we don't know if we're going to be on earth when he returns. But we have to be about the master's business while we're waiting, and we're not supposed to be alarmed at the things that we hear. As I said before, this prospect of nuclear war has kind of changed the uh, political climate and has made people more anxious than ever before. But Jesus said, But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift your heart, heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Now, for a long time, people thought, Oh, God's promises, they're kind of vague, they're off in the future somewhere. But on May 14, 1948, something happened, and Israel became a nation-state. And a promise that was thousands of years old was fulfilled. And suddenly people started to take an interest in end times. Some of them have got, tried to predict dates of when Jesus is going to return and what's going to happen. And most of them have been wrong. Because Jesus said, look, we just don't know. We need to be about the master's business. In 2 Timothy, this is a verse you might know in the other versions, it says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I quite like the contemporary English version because it says God's spirit doesn't make cowards out of us. The spirit gives us power, love and self-control. And we will need self-control. I don't know if you've been in a situation where other people are panicking. It's uh, not nice. But if you are calm and you have a right to be calm because you have peace with God, you, your future is, is assured. If you are calm in a crisis situation, you can be a model to others and you can encourage them. Wouldn't it be great if people would come to us and say, look, the world's in a real mess, but you seem to be at peace. Why is that? And then we could tell them about our hope. And in Romans 15.4, Paul goes on to say, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God does for us. He wants to give us his peace and his hope so that we will be secure and we will stand out in the middle of our generations becoming increasingly anxious. Hope is the belief that something good is going to happen. That's not a scripture, that's just my summary of it. But in Hebrews it says this, Hebrews 6.19, This hope we have is an anchor to the soul, a hope both sure and reliable. 
See, all the prophecies that concerned Jesus' death and resurrection came true. And when Jesus himself prophesied over Jerusalem and said, look, this place is going to be wiped flat and one stone won't be upon another. That was fulfilled about 40 years later when Titus and his Roman army came along and did it. And when the Jews came back to their land in 1948, another prophecy was fulfilled. So God's word is reliable. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he has this long sentence, which I split onto three slides, but it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what our hope is based on. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So even though the world is suffering all these disasters and people are getting very anxious and worried about it, we know, or should know, that we are protected by the Holy Spirit because God still has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. So, what do we have to look forward to? Well, like any good book, if you look to turn to the last part, you'll see what's going to happen in the end. And in Revelation 21, 2, it says, And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That's our hope, that one day we'll go and be with Jesus and be with the Father, and that we will experience this blessed peace. In the meantime, we've got to get on with life. So following um, Paul's advice in Philippians, we need to forget what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And he said, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is still work for us to do on this planet. And further in Philippians he says, Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. All I want is Christ and to know that I belong to him. And if you can agree with that statement today, then you have a solid foundation. Now, there will be speed bumps in the future. And some of you may get a lot of air. But don't get tired of helping others, because you will be rewarded when the time is right if you don't give up. That was Paul's advice to the Galatians. So in the meantime, as we continue with our daily lives, we have to focus on God, but also focus on helping the people that God has put in contact with us. And remember... This is a couple of verses you, that might find helpful. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. So when everybody else is running around like headless chickens, you are to be an island of calm and peace. 
And if you do get struck by personal tragedy, as happens to us all from time to time, remember that weeping may last for a night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. I like Pilgrim's Progress. I think it's quite an amazing book, even though it was written 400 years ago. And in it, Bunyan writes this, To go back is nothing but death. To go forward is fear of death and life everlasting beyond it. I will yet go forward. For God has not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 And in Romans 8, we know this verse so well. Romans 8.31 We know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love good, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now this is perhaps a difficult thing to understand when we are witnessing disasters. How can an earthquake in Christchurch work for my good? Well, it helped get me out of Christchurch, and I wouldn't have met you people without it. So that's good from my personal point of view. But there is an example in the scriptures that I want to discuss with you. And this occurs in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now remember in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, that the disciples were told, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. But it didn't stop there. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Where were the disciples? They were in Jerusalem, having a great time. But as they went, they weren't sure where they were going. They just knew they had to go. I mean, if people are trying to drag you off to prison and kill you, it makes sense to leave. Now, we call this a push factor, something that was pushing them out. And as they went, they were speaking to no one about the word except to Jews alone. But, you know, when you give instructions to people, there's always those who don't listen. And so there were some of them began speaking to the Greeks as well, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. Now, as they spoke to the Jews, the Jews would have understood the Old Testament and its prophecies and, who, and the expectation of the Messiah. But when they spoke to the Greeks, they went, Jesus? Who? What? What's it all about? They don't understand. So they had to very patiently explain to them God's plan of salvation. And to their surprise, they responded. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So what can we learn from this? Well, we know that persecution is bad, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But God brought something good out of a bad situation. And it's not the first time he's done it. He did it for Joseph. He did it for Daniel. He did it for the early church. And he can do it for each one of us. So whatever you go through or will go through in the future and think, why is this happening to me? You, there is a silver lining. God can always bring good out of a bad situation. In fact, he's the only one who can. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we look and we hear about these disasters coming on the earth. And when, particularly when we re read of disasters in the North Island and we know people up there, we can be anxious. But Lord, we ask you to grant us your peace that we may 
be people who can be rock solid and encourage others throughout these difficult times that are yet to come. Amen. Let's stand and sing one last song.